that's a problem, cause what? I do my thing, that does, that does, I'm a problem, cause what? Most LGBT Most LGBTI Green Left Weekly Radio There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests and that's Green Left Weekly it's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio um, with Jacob in the studio um, and Megan, who will be coming in later. She's just running a bit late. Um, we're um, looking. We're going to be um, broadcasting to you another hour and a half of um, Radical Radio, radio, radio um, reporting the latest on left-wing politics and um, um, news from the social movements around the world. Um, I guess before I announce... Um, about what's coming up in our program. Um, I'd like to acknowledge that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the wandry land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I'd like to pay our respect um, to elders past and present and that this always was, um, always will be Aboriginal land. So I guess um, to start off the program, um, I wanted to talk, as we usually do, um, talk about some headline news. And I guess one of the main sort of headlines that struck me um, from yesterday um, was the recent um, targeting of the Democratic um, Democrat um, um, Congress um, woman um, Ellen Omar by Donald Trump, um, where um, you know they Ellen Omar and um, and one part of the self-described squad whose other members are, you know, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, um, were, um, who have been sort of the voice of kind of opposition to, um, Trump's sort of ra- racist agenda against immigrants, um, and generally standing on the kind of left wing, you know, being the kind of left wing opposition to kind of every, Everything that um, Donald Trump represents, um, she were they were all um, in particular. Ellen Ma was singled out by Donald Trump at a at a campaign rally in um, North Carolina, you know, sparking a kind of chant of "Send her back," you know, on voice um, singling out her um, um, her her re- refuge her position inside the refugee, um, which is you know. Um, Soon after that rally, which is quite a scary thing, um, the fact that, you know, Donald Trump is inciting these, um, outright racist chants against a, a woman of colour. Um, soon after the rally ended, um, Mrs. Omar responded on Twitter, um, where she stated that I am where I belong at the people's house and you are just going to have to deal, she wrote. And, you know, in, in, some other things, I guess, to note about this campaign rally um, that Donald Trump, um, you know, 
push for the shant. Um, she he turned it his uh, he turned it into kind of an extended dissection of the liberal views of these um, four women, um, dividing them for what he painted as extreme positions and suggesting they just leave. And he is um, quoted as saying, "Tonight I have a suggestion for the hate-filled extremists who are constantly trying to tear our country down." Mr. Trump told the rally in North Carolina, a swing state he won in 2016, and wants to claim again in 2020. Um, they'll never have anything good to say. That's why I say, "Hey, if you don't like them, let them leave. Let them leave." And going on and on. So I think this is um, kind of indicative of, um, you know, the outright kind of. Um, hate-filled agenda that um, Donald Trump is putting forward in um, US politics. And I think I have to, all solidarity with um, with the congresswoman who are, um, the four congresswomen who are, you know, putting, I think, you know, in, in my, um, I would say are probably the most exciting thing that is happening in US politics right now. They're, they're putting forward consistent left-wing um, positions and they are on, and in the Congress, and which is, you know, for the most part, mostly right wing, um, with um, Democrats and um, Republicans both being on the pro corporate side of politics, and one of the, I guess, one of the interesting kind of things um, to note is how you know the majority of the Republicans um, have you know refused to condemn um, condemn this outright racism from Donald Trump, um, and in the UK. Um, it was quite start, um, striking to read um, that you know all the two con- um, candidates for who are running for the leader of the um, the two prime candidates who are running for the leader leadership for of the Conservative Party, um, Boris Johnson and um, Jeremy, got some forgot his name actually. Um, we you know refuse outright Jeremy Hunter that is um, refused to um, condemn um, Donald Trump. I mean, they condemned you know what he said, but they refused to call him out um, for being you know for outright for racism. And which um, Jeremy Corbyn um, you know um, called out on and basically openly criticised these conservative Labour and these conservative Tories as you know refusing to call out Donald Trump for what he um, stands for and you know. What these UK, um, UK prime minister candidates um, cited was the fact that you know, oh, we have to be diplomatic. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's one of the kind of a, um, the notable things that's happening in the, in the headlines, and I think it's indicative of I think the the outright right wing direction that um, the United States is heading towards, um, especially with the treatment, um, the recent developments that's been happening around the treatment of um, immigrants um, in detention camps. And it's going to be, which I will talk a bit more about later on in the program in terms of the developments of the active resistance um, against these detention campaign, um, camps from activists. And um, I will just go and move on to playing a quick, um, I'll play a quick announcement and we'll move on to some other news articles. Help Freesia support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline, and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care, and also others were... The recognition of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help 
keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. 3CR are selling kofia Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Alright, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. It's 7.09am and um, Megan Street is um, now in the studio. Hello everyone, I'm sorry. <laughs> ah, actually, wait, yep, the mic, I'm yep, on. microphone, yep, yep. this microphone's all working, um, just didn't sound as clear as um, it usually does. That's um, I'm puffing. <laughs> yeah. Now, I guess um, we, we'll just, um, um, just to keep, um, get you up to speed, Megan, we'll, I was just um, talking about the recent developments around um, the US um, with, oh, you know, yes. Donald Trump um, chanting, send her back, um, in, you know, um, singling out Ilan uh, Omar. Um, who, Ilan Omar, yeah. Um, so, which is uh, absolutely kind of terrifying. And I think there's going to be, I mean, the fact that a president of the United States yeah. is inciting um, that level of racism. And, and is spouting textbook racism. Like, literally, this is textbook racism. You know, if you don't like this country, go back home back to your own country. Textbook racism. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, an uh, interesting bit of irony, um, in in particular to... Um, Specific to Rashida, um, Rashida, um, who's one of the four Democratic, um, um, four, um, Congresswomen who's part you know, of the squad, part of the squad of, um, and, um, she's Palestinian and by Donald Trump <laughs> telling her, um, that she should go back to where she came from, um, Donald Trump is basically endorsing the Palestinian right of return, which, um, you know, the Zionists have reported have been denying for more, the better part of the decade, um, especially to all the Palestinians who, um, who are born in, in the United States and born elsewhere outside, Pal- uh, outside Palestine. Mm. And I think, um, isn't she, she's been here longer than, um, his wife as well. Is that right? She's been a long Oh, well, there's, there's always this, there's always that kind of irony, really. Um, I mean, that, I, I, mean, I know we, I, it doesn't matter. I mean, because they're now, you know, American citizens, et cetera, but, I mean, the level of hypocrisy or the level of mental gymnastics that you have to do to tell someone like that to go home, you know, when your own wife hasn't been here as long as her, that's just, I don't know, the mental gymnastics is exhausting to to follow. (laughs) Now, I guess I'm... I'm um, just to announce what's coming up on our program. Um, so I'm going to play a recording. Actually, in the next minute, I'll play a recording of, um, of a speech by Laura Pidcock. Um, she is a UK Labour MP, um, and probably one of the more outspoken left-wing um, Labor MPs, while, you know, one of the, the most kind of exciting developments um, in the Labor Party has been the rise of Jeremy Corbyn, um, but the majority of the MPs kind of in the Labor Party are still of the kind of centrist sort of, you know, right-wing character, um, with the exception of someone like Laura Pidcock, and I mean, there's t- um, tens other... Um, 
there's a number of others as well, but Laura Pidcock is, um, stands out as one of the fresh kind of new young voices with, who is unashamedly radical. Um, and this speech, um, is basically one, um, she gave at the mining galley, um, which is this, um, it's a, it's an annual sort of, um, trade union kind of festival, um, that oh, happens. A gala? Yeah, a gala that yeah. happens every year in the United Kingdom. Um, it, ta- it takes place in one of the mining towns and one of the kind of significant things about this, um, mining galley is that it's, it's kind of like a festival celebrating trade unionism. Um, they always have pretty radical speeches. Um, and of course it's always, Marked as a, as a sort of um, day of remembrance of the kind of miners' strike during the Thatcher era and, and their struggle uh, against the injustice. Um, so yeah, this is a I'm just this is a speech by Laura Pidcock, who is one of the um, new, new um, labor, um, rising stars in the in the UK Labour Party. Um, and yeah, hopefully yeah, I'll, go, I'll be playing it now. <clears throat> you will make and of course I want to say thank you for everything you did during the miners strike. What an unbelievable honour it is to be on the platform at this historic event. I'm, I'm completely humbled by the invitation. I think however I'm going to have to go into retirement now because there is nothing that beats speaking to you at this meeting. Everything about this celebration is perfect except one thing. I wish that my dad Bernard Pidcock was here. He died... He died five months ago and this was his favourite day. He was my best comrade and he would have been beaming with the warmth and the comradeship and the opportunity that I've been given by the DMA. So I dedicate what I am about to say to him. This is... This is the best of working class culture. The incredibly moving brass brass bands, the beautiful banners painted in love and detail. Today we hold those banners high because we are one movement. We are connected through our shared struggle, our principled beliefs and our unwavering optimism. We are one people standing up against the brutality of this system. Today in Durham, we remember those brave miners who stood up against the violence of Margaret Thatcher's government. They resisted, they resisted her determination to smash organised workers and those who came after your work was done. We will never ever forget what you did and the sacrifices that you made and to the women of that struggle, of this region, of this region and throughout the cornfield who raised funds, who raised awareness, who fed the communities through those hungry and bitter 18 months, who organised relentlessly. You were an equal and valiant partner in that struggle. So to Myrtle McPherson, Heather Wood, Anne Scargill, Florence Anderson, Betty Cooper, Juliana Heron, Joan Guy, Brenda Hopper, and so many other women in the struggle, we salute you. And we are living, we are living with the stars of that period, are we not? 
such as neoliberal free market dogma reveals fresh wounds every single day within the blink of an eye through clever legislation, the propaganda of the papers and through the greed of the powerful, they have sucked the colour out of our community. So many of our schools sold off from under our noses, huge chunks of our NHS gifted to the vultures who could not care less about the health of our mothers or fathers or children, people being paid less and less to work more and more. Exploitation is so commonplace, it is invisible. Disillusion, disappointment and fear haunt our communities. So scared, scared of people of the DWP, of their employer, of the bank, scared of their future. But I want to make one thing clear. We cannot hope for our lives to improve. We can't even talk about the survival of this planet without facing up to one fundamental truth. That it is the capitalist system which is at the root of this destruction. And it is the capitalist system. It is the capitalist system which must be looked at squarely in the eyes and taken on because, comrades, there is another way. In government, I will oversee a Ministry of Labour. That ministry will be proudly and powerfully on the side of the worker. It will free the trade union movement from their shackles so they can organise and represent their members again. Zero-hour contracts will be banned, workers will have the confidence that their rights will be enforced, and of course we will repeal the anti-trade union laws. The Labour government will see the biggest shift in power from employer to employee this country has ever seen. So this is a message to the exploitative bosses. You are on borrowed time. about how you feel. It's a fundamentally about your position in society. It's about the power you have. It's about what you own. It's about whether or not by hand or by brain you need to work to live. The fact is, that is the majority of us and working class people know that is the root of our power. And of course, of course, let's not be naive or determined to change the balance of power will be met with resistance and there will be conflict in that ideological battle and so too the activists. I know this struggle is hard. I know it's tiring arguing for a different system. It's exhausting battling the press. It's energy sapping being that person to stand up only to be met with outrage or apathy. It's painful being called an extremist when you have fought your whole life for peace. When you, when you are called, when you are called a racist, when you're called a racist, you define yourself by your anti-racism activism. But friends, in years to come, when we look back, people will be in awe that you did not shrink back from the fire. So take your anger, take your pain, take your frustration, take your deep dissatisfaction with this system and occupy every single space with your politics without embarrassment, without hesitation and without fear because there is nothing, nothing more important than this political project. And of course, we must stay disciplined. 
We must not underestimate the forces that we are up against. We must use our energy, however, not on those who are fickle and flighty, but on defeating the evils of exploitation, greed, and the unfettered power of the ruling class. And when we feel like that mountain is too high, remember each other here today. Get your head down. Take one step at a time. We will defeat it. They say, comrades, that the, the darkest hour is just before dawn. Well, sisters and brothers, dawn is on its way. We have everything to win. Right, that was um, a speech by Laura Pidcock um, at the Durham um, Mining Gala, um, which actually just happened in the past, I think the past two, two weeks ago or a week ago. Um, inspiring. Yeah, so a very um, inspiring um, speech. Um, now, I guess we'll get a move on um, to some news from Green Left Weekly. Um, this is also, um, a head, uh, a cover article. Um, um, and which is a report on the investigation of um, the death um, into the death of um, a 36-year-old Wadanjuri woman, Rebecca Mayer, um, concluded on July the 5th at the Newcastle's Coroner's um, Court. And Megan, do you want to sort of start off giving a summary of the case? Yeah, of what sure. Happened? Um, so it was an investigation into uh, Rebecca Mayer's death. She's a Wiradjuri woman, and. Um, Rebecca's family and supporters um, were together with the Indigenous Social Justice Association and fighting in resistance equality. Uh, they gathered that day of uh, the hearing at the a nearby, nearby castle, Newcastle Civic Park, and they were left shaken by the fact that despite what was revealed in the court, no police officers have been found responsible. And I just want to point out as well that pretty much every um, death in cu- Indigenous death in custody, there has not been a um, someone found responsible for that death. Um, so, yeah, uh, Rebecca, she was found dead in a Maitland police cell in New South Wales Hunter region in the early hours of July 19th, 2016, um, when police finally checked on her cell. Uh, she'd been stopped by police uh, for reportedly wandering into oncoming traffic and was um, apprehended as an intoxicated person. Um, so, yeah, they'd actually they described her as being unsteady on her feet and slurring her words, etc., and it's interesting because uh, case events of the night revealed that she, after she was apprehended, Rebecca had been racially abused by a Maitland police officer who described her movements as being like a chimpanzee. Um, the court, um, so the, the interesting thing was, um, the, so the, the coroner, Teresa O'Sullivan, confirmed um, that Rebecca's possession of the tablets, she had tablets on her, uh, prescription tablets on her, um, and it was, uh, it was, a due process failure that police failed to identify these and, and uh, see you know, that she had them on there. Um, so the findings of the inquest proved that beyond a shadow of a doubt, and this is the most disturbing thing, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Rebecca's life could have been saved if appropriate action, such as a simple call to emergency services, had been taken. Um, and while Rebecca was in custody, police failed three main protocols, uh, the first being that they failed to search her, which would have led them to locate the prescription drugs um, that contributed to her death. Um, so basically because this was mixed alcohol and drugs, they should have actually called the ambulance um, as soon as they knew. Uh, secondly, they failed to carry out a standard questionnaire, including identifying her Indigenous status, which would have led to a responsible next to kin being located and an ambulance being called. 
And thirdly, the police did not notify the Aboriginal Legal Service Custody Notification Service, the CNS, which is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week Aboriginal notification service um, staffed by lawyers that provides legal service, legal advice and welfare checks. Uh, it's actually a legally re- legal requirement for police officers to call the CNS if an Aboriginal person is taken into custody. So this, all of this negligence, I mean, it's, it's several-fold negligence. They, they failed to do due process and due protocol. These things were what they were legally required to do. They did not do them. And in another case, uh, a a non-commissioned officer was actually the one to tell um, uh, her mum that she was dead, and they did that six hours after her death as well, which is just... I mean, there's so many things wrong with with this um, with this case, and there's just so much disrespect, and um, you know, all of these things on top of this contributed to her death, and and it's known that that this is absolutely in a court of law proven that these things contributed without a doubt to her death because if due process and due protocol had been carried out, she'd be alive today, um, and and so to not have any of the officers responsible charged or you know even identified as you know as part of the problem is part of the system that we have where indigenous people when they're brought into custody there's there's one treatment for non-indigenous people and there's another treatment for another and and it's absolutely ignored it's ignored by by police officers it's it's basically you know they don't believe it exists this this mistreatment and um and I, I really, I really feel for Rebecca's family. This is just, you know, it's one in a, a long line of many deaths where nobody has been charged and nothing has been done, and it mm. continues. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's um, it's very telling that um, despite the the findings of this report, um, there's going to be it at 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 a glance from looking at um what has been reported here it appears that there's going to be real, no real consequences no for change, the nothing. for the police officers involved yeah. um and i think you know it comes it, 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 there's always a historical context um to these things and it comes from the fact that the police um as an institution and have never really been one that is designed to serve the kind of interests of of ordinary people and mm. it is always meant to kind of keep them in line with law and of course what was has always been you know previously been law has been the the oppression and the marginalization of indigenous people and even though we've we've there's been so many gains in terms of formal equality nothing really has changed because the kind of racist kind of system yeah. still prevails it's an entrenched racist system and and I also just want to point out that um, you know, maybe the criminalisation of intoxication, of public intoxication, this is the kind of thing that also contributes to Indigenous deaths in custody. Um, you know, we, if we actually are genuinely interested in helping these people, if we're actually genuinely interested in, um, you know, providing services that save lives, then we wouldn't actually be throwing them in jail. We'll be doing something else, something smarter than, than what we currently do. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. When it, when it comes to sort of white people getting drunk, um, there's no, there's a, there's a, very, a huge difference in the in the treatment that they um, that they receive compared to indigenous people. Yeah, yeah. I might just play I'll play a quick um, announcement and we'll move on to, to discussing another article from Green Left Weekly. Three CR broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week. 
including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to one thing at Tricia Community Radio, please subscribe now. Tistamiuna ila ida Tricia Community Radio araja al ishtrak al an. Ningal ungalin samuha vanali Tricia ray kertu kondir kondir kal. Rinre nayungal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Metsuk ketsek radio i gayaranin oratang guda melbumi hai kaotin. Hima artsanakrevetsek ipr Tricia ray antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly um, Radio, um, and with Jacob and Megan on the line. Um, so we're just discussing um, a report, an article about the inquest into um, the death and custody of Rebecca Mayer. Um, in um, New South Wales, and the next article I want to move on is to uh, go back to a bit of a um, about what's happening internationally, and that is sort of a exploration of the situation around the um, border patrol, um, asylum seekers, and so-called illegal immigrants in the United States. And this is um, drawing on an article written by Barry Shepherd in um, the latest Green Left Weekly, and he opens up the article by saying, when asylum seekers and other immigrants are rounded up by the Border Patrol in the United States, they are first held in detention centres before being sent to agencies that are supposed to rule on their cases. And a kind of explanation, kind of more detail on kind of what this situation has entailed, you know, Border Patrol agents have, you know, were being reported, you know, blocked reporters from entering their detention centres. They were forced um, to allow lawyers for inmates some access and some of the reported on the truly horrible conditions to local newspapers as well as left-leaning news sources such as The Nation and um, in, in Democracy Now. And, you know, in previous articles, um, Barry writes here, he reported on, on these things, um, on what these lawyers have found. But one of the more interesting things is that recent developments have, um, have you know, put these revelations into the mainstream media. As a result, um, some reporters and Democratic politicians have gained access to the centres. One one example was the investigation by the Department of Homeland Security own officer, Inspector General, whose report was publicly released. The DHS oversees Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, and Border Patrol is ICE's um, armed enforcement agency. And, you know, one of the things is we're kind of used to hearing um, that all these reports from what happens in these detention centres are false, um, um, which, you know, in a sense, this is why the fact that the body overseeing um, these these um, these um, these horrible institutions is actually reporting the truth um, is quite a, a significant thing and I think in the mm. sense it has contributed a lot to the there's been just massive protests um, in the United States or around the different um, states um, in support of um, in support of immigrant rights and against and calling for the abolishment of the immigration and customs enforcement ICE um, in fact um, one of the, some, some of the other significant things that has um, been happening with um, with the with the, the movement has um, for immigrant rights has been there's been snap protests um, um, organized to defend um, immigrants from being deported um, there's been information sharing between activists um, you know block, blockading um, immig- um, immigration officers etc and um, and and so on 
Yeah, it's interesting to note that a whole bunch of groups are coming together. Um, there's a, actually a big Jewish contingent who um, are, are handling um, a lot of organising a lot of protests, uh, and the whole hash never again um, thing. It's quite disturbing, you know, to think that. Um, so, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez um, has said. Uh, that these are concentration camps, and of course the right are, are very much up in arms about that that um, term. You know, you can't call them concentration camps. But we've all seen we've all seen the the images. We've all seen the appalling conditions that these people are living under. Uh, and then we have um, people, members of the Jewish community, saying, "Look, this has happened to us before. It is absolutely legitimate to call these concentration camps. Um, and you know, this is a downward spiral that we never want to see happen again. Um, it, it's it's scary times, to be honest. This hmm. is, um, you know, we, we are looking at the descent into fascism. Um, we are looking at all of these steps, and we're pretty much going through the steps, step by step, to get there in the US. And we have an openly racist um, president in the US now. And um, did you see a footage of Mike Pence going to one of these um, uh, facilities? No, I didn't. Uh, well, you know, he was... he was seeing like you know there's a there's an article the picture that accompanies um this article um you know it's it shows the appalling conditions people people are sleeping under these aluminium um you know these metal, metallic um blankets etc there's overcrowding there's um you know there's a lack of hygiene etc um mike pence visited one of these facilities and it was exactly like what was uh, shown here and just the way that he just sort of surveyed these people as if they were less than human and then just walked out is just scary. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> well, that just says everything about Mike Pence, really. Yeah. Um, and another thing that was um, kind of reported is um, there was another expose that was released on July 21st, which kind of reveals the sort of the kind of institutional nature and the people who are kind of part of it. Um, it was basically a secret Facebook Group, um, book group that had you know, oh, thousands yeah. of ICE members, including I think um, one of Border the Patrol top agents. members as well. And um, you know these um, these people um, who are on this face group um, book group, you know, post- posted racist, homophobic, anti-immigrant, and misogynist messages about immigrants, Democratic Congress people, and others. And you know, while the 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 while they while in an earlier report, it kind of indicated that there were some agents that were appalled by the conditions they saw. Um, these sort of um, the revelations of this Facebook group showed that a high percentage of the approximately of of the of approximately twenty thousand agents across the U.S. were on the site. I think it was almost half of them. Yeah, well, and I think that's just kind of working. In fact, we've um, I think a similar thing has been is a culture is definitely present in our own border force um, mm. and um, the people who who work in who run our offshore detention camps, um, and you know there there's um, the and the, and the particular kind of attacks that they've made on Alexander Ocasio Cortez in the midst of all this extremely um, misogynistic, <laughs> sexist attacks. Yeah, um, and in this group. Yeah, so and I think the kind of um, conclusion I think we can we can kind of draw for this is the Customs and Border Patrol detention centres are just one part of the Trump administration's criminal cruelty towards those seeking to come to the U.S., including those. Um, uh, seeking asylum, and you know, a new twist. Um, a twist is that ICE is pressuring immigrants, giving sanctuary um, who have been given sanctuary in churches by levying huge fines against them. The New York Times reported on one su- um, such case. Um, 
Quote here, Adif and Spano spends her days praying, reading, and when feeling brave, taking short walks outside the Minot Church in Columbus, um, Ohio, where she's been living for 21 months. Church leaders have been protecting Miss Pagnol, who crossed the border illegally into the United States more than um, more than two decades ago, while she fights a deport- deportation order. But early in the week, um, the church secretary handed Mrs. Pagnol a letter from ICE that said she had willfully refused to leave the country and can, can need to conspire to prevent deportation and would owe the government nearly half a million dollars. Oh um, and, and, of course, the other thing that's coming out of this is Trump announced this month that the, pre, the previously promised raids of Latino communities in 10 cities to arrest undocumented undom, migrant immigrants for deportation would begin soon, and he would say these raids would be the initial effort to round up and deport one million People and of course um, Barry writes here whether this is a bluff on his on his part and still fear remains to be seen. But any effort along these lines will be met with resistance. Do you know the interesting thing to me is this systematic otherization of people who are immigrants. Um, well, in particular, people who are brown-skinned immigrants. Um, it's just. It's part of this descent into fascism that I see. It's this otherization happened in history before. Um, many people in the US and around the world see people, these people, as less than human. Therefore, these, this inhumane treatment is justified. Um, it, and also another thing is, which is quite hypocritical, um, Trump and his cronies are, you know, threatening to round up all of these people. But a lot of these undocumented immigrants are the people who do the low-paid jobs. Uh, you know, they pay the, the least wages to these people because they can get away with it. They, these are the people who hold up the agricultural industry in many parts of the U.S. They're also the types of people who are employed as, um, you know, cleaning uh, officers at Mar-a-Lago, which is, you know, Trump's, um, you know, big place, this palatial place that he owns. And so when you get rid of undocumented immigrants... Uh, are you going to be paying people more, you know, in wages? <laughs> because a part of the US economy actually relies upon uh, this forced um, reduction of wages that uh, because undocumented immigrants will take any job they can, basically. Um, it's, again, part of this sort of hypocrisy. So, yeah, it's worrying times, definitely. Yeah. Alright, um, so I think the next thing I'll just play for the next, um, 16 to 18 minutes is, um, this is just, um, the speeches from a public forum that was organised by Green Left Weekly, Animal Liberation and Capitalism was recorded, um, by a progressive podcast, um, and I thought I would play one, um, a recording of, um, the talk by the first speaker, Dylan, um, Fernando, um, where um, who discusses the role of capitalism and the um, which this event discusses the role of capitalism and the exploitation of animals, um, and so the first speaker from this forum that I'll play is um, Dylan Fernando, who's the found, well, co-founder, co-founder of Young Voices for Animals, um, and so we'll, I guess we can play um, play that um, for a bit until um, until we move on to the activist calendar um, at eight a.m. Um, so yeah. Um, this is Dylan Fernando. So uh, tonight's forum uh, is Animal Liberation and Capitalism. So we are Socialist Alliance and um, we run our weekly newspaper, Green Left Weekly, and generally every month we put on a public forum on some topic or other. And um, 
they've usually been um, quite successful and interesting, and this one here has proven to be uh, a lot of interest about it. So um, we've got three speakers tonight. So Dilan is here from um, what was the Young Voices, Young Voices for Animals. Yep, and then Mary is a Social Alliance member, and um, Kristen is from Vegan Rising. So uh, we'll give 15 to 20 minutes to each of the speakers, and then at the end of the forum we'll have some discussion. So we'll limit that to about three minutes per person. We'll take them in threes, and they can ask people can ask questions of the speakers or make a comment, and just generally have a bit of a, dis a discussion about the issue. Um, so, yeah, we'll start things off. Firstly, um, an acknowledgement. So, we at Socialist Alliance, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of the Rwandri of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to the elders past and present, as well as their fight back for their land over the last 200 years. We recognise that this land was stolen and never ceded. We are on stolen land. So, um, if I can invite the first speaker, Dilan. Great, and I'll um, just as a note before we begin, uh, we will be recording the talk, so if anybody has a problem with that, let us know. Um, and I'll be waving these little cards at the speakers to let them know how much time is left. Cool. Hi everyone, um, my name is Dilan Fernando. I am an activist and organiser in the animal rights community here in Melbourne. Um, I want to acknowledge the Bunwurrung and Wurundjeri peoples and their elders, the traditional custodians of this land which has been colonised and occupied by both European colonisers and settlers of various backgrounds, including myself. Um, I hope that in this discussion, uh, you know, the discussions, the questions and the stories that we share um, can help us take a step towards dismantling the domineering mindset of colonisation. I'm very excited to be talking and very grateful. Thank you, Megan, for inviting me here. Um, I understand this is kind of one of the first times that animal liberation is being explored within the public socialist, science forum, socialist alliance forum. So, um, you know, hopefully we can all come away with some broader perspectives, identify some common ground, and, um, yeah, unearth some tensions as well and hopefully explore those in a peaceful and productive way. So I want to start with a point which I hope we will all be able to broadly agree on, that animal, animals are victims of capitalism. So under colonial law, which operates in tandem with our political and economic systems, uh, animals are defined as property and resources there for human use. So they don't have rights. Um, so in terms of animals in the wild, uh, their homes, you know, the trees, the earth, the waters, are invaded, polluted and destroyed so that we can expand human industries. When it comes to animals within human systems, they are simultaneously exploited workers, inputs into production and blood-soaked products all at the same time. Um, they are, their bodies are used as breeding machines. They are held in captivity, separated from their families and traded as commodities. They are forced to surrender their, their autonomy and their spirit uh, through, you know, through physical beatings and through psychological manipulation. They are experimented on, they are hunted 
they are mutilated, they are forced to perform, they are ogled at in the confines of zoos and aquariums. Mere units of production, they, have, they are killed and have their bodies rendered into food and clothing. And that's before we even get to the way that animals suffer and will continue to suffer tremendously uh, due to the climate crisis that modern capitalism has played no small part in creating. So almost every species of animal um, is, you know, has, is violated in some way by capitalism. Um, and you know, that, that applies even to the cats and dogs who we cherish so much. They're executed by the thousands every year because there is an excess supply of so-called pets and not enough homes where they can actually live. So hopefully we can all broadly see uh, and accept uh, collectively that where there is profit to be made, animals' lives are forfeit. But I don't want to just talk about animals as victims of capitalism. I want to explore things from a different angle. And to do that, I want to tell you a couple of stories. The first story takes place uh, back in 2007 and involves someone named Tatiana. So Tatiana was a Siberian tiger um, who was brought to the San Francisco Zoo in, uh, in 2005 and she was considered like a star addition to the lineup of animals at the zoo. Um, Tatiana was uh, placed in an enclosure that was about 100 square metres um, of roaming space which was a little bit of a far cry from the 250 square kilometres she would have in her natural habitat. Um, it was rumoured that she was underfed, so that in her desire for food, she would move around a bit more and be a little more entertaining for the kids. Um, but on the 26th of December, 2007, Tatiana had enough. You see, these three men came along, and uh, three young men, possibly drunk, and they started yelling obscenities at her, waving their arms around, um, and evidence indicates they were throwing things at her as well. And a visitor testified that they had seen these people doing the exact same thing to the lions in the nearby enclosure. So Tatiana, she gets pissed. Tatiana, Tatiana takes a massive leap and scrambles on top of the 12-foot wall that forms the perimeter of her enclosure, and she attacks these men outside the enclosure, and she rips one of them to pieces. And the other two, they run away. Now I want you to listen closely to what happens next. Tatiana, for 20 minutes, roams the grounds of the zoo. She has ample opportunity to attack first responders, to attack zoo staff, and she even walks straight past a group of warthogs who are vulnerable in a nearby enclosure. But she does none of these things. Her focus is utterly singular. She tracks down these men at the, at the terrace cafe of the zoo and she attacks while they're hiding there. And it's at this point that the police arrive and Tatiana is shot dead. It's worth noting at this point that just, uh, that soon after this, it came to light that Tatiana, um, this wasn't the first time she had acted out. She had actually attacked a trainer a year earlier and almost bitten their arm off. Okay, so that's the first story. The second story takes place in Hackettstown, a small town uh, in the US state of New Jersey. 
Around mid-2017, a goat escaped from the Hackettstown auction market where animals are bought and sold. This goat was, in the ensuing months, spotted around town, um, often within the company of five deer who, um, who they appear to have befriended. And they often appeared at the local train station, and townspeople kind of um, anointed them as a local celebrity. And they nicknamed this goat Fred. In August of 2018, about a year after Fred's uh, escape, there was another escape at the auction market, this time of about 75 animals. Um, pigs, sheep, goats, most of them are rounded up, but about 20 of them managed to get away. Now, soon after the escape, police received reports that Fred was sighted early that morning somewhere near the auction market. And people started to, to sort of say, oh, is, is Fred the culprit behind this escape? Did Fred orchestrate this? And, and, and some of them were joking, but some of them actually weren't. The head of the auction market was absolutely convinced through, um, was absolutely convinced that Fred had bashed open a gate that allowed these 75 animals to escape. And in fact, Fred was actually spotted early the next morning uh, near the auction market again which led people to speculate that maybe he was trying to plan an encore. <laughs> but uh, Fred, has, Fred has since been captured, sadly, and is now forced to be um, a breeder on a farm where his body will be used as a reproductive machine and his children stolen from him and their mother in perpetuity. It's lovely. Um, so, yeah, these stories are stories of animals directly resisting against their situation. Tatiana threw a very specific retaliation against her captors and antagonizers. Fred, through his escape, through his survival and building relationships with deer, through his potential rescue of 75 animals, and those 75 animals through their flight from the auction market. And you can read a lot more stories like this in the Facebook page, Animal Resistance, which I highly recommend you follow, um, as well as a book uh, by historian Jason Hribel, fear of the animal planet. Um, and these stories are kind of appearing all the time, right? But they can be hard to miss because the media often trivializes them. But sometimes, you know, they get famous, like the story of Tilikum, the whale at SeaWorld Orlando, who killed three people in the course of his resistance. Uh, the story of Chautauqua, the horse, the Australian horse who refused to run. Um, the story of the emus in Western Australia who organised themselves to pretty successfully avoid a culling operation by the Australian military. And then on other occasions you get these lower profile acts, you know, you get dairy cows um, uh, attacking farmers to stop them from seizing their children. You get pigs jumping off moving slaughter trucks. You get that cockatoo who was seen at the shopping mall in Katoomba dismantling anti-bird spikes on the roof. And on other occasions you get the smaller acts which happen all the time, but are no less important. Chickens struggling against slaughter equipment. Cows bellowing for their lost children. Fish gasping for oxygen as they're impaled and taken out of the water. And of course, there are the animals who, once they manage to get out of these industries, resist by actually choosing to continue surviving and building relationships. So when we see these stories, it can be a bit challenging to kind of figure out what do, they, what do they amount to? What do we actually do with them? Because on one hand, we can say, oh, 
they're animals. Well, we don't we don't know what, what they mean by these things. But on the other hand, we can look at the frequency of these acts. We can look at the specific ways that animals are responding to situations that most humans would find utterly traumatic. We can combine that with our modern scientific understanding of animal consciousness and recognise that these are not just animals randomly acting out. We can frame these as um, acts of protest. We can frame them as pleas for help, as attempts at liberation. Right? These are animals clearly telling us that they do not consent to being commodified by humans. And we can frame animals not just as victims of capitalism, but as agents in their own narrative resisting capitalism. Sadly, due to the way that human oppression of animals has been structured, it's hard for animals to, animals to achieve collective liberation without the assistance of humans. But, despite constant and clear calls to action, animals have largely been excluded from the left's broader struggles for social justice. You know, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, we say. You know, disregarding the fact, you know, kind of glossing over the fact that it's quite, it's quite hard to justify eating animals and consuming animals under almost any system. They're just animals, and it's a privilege to care about them. So, you know, we should be focusing on marginalised humans, we say. Disregarding the numerous, you know, poor, black, brown, indigenous, queer, disabled, trans, and other marginalised individuals who are fighting for animal liberation, often in tandem with other political issues. Um, we talk about how animals are often treated better than most humans, ignoring the fact that over a trillion animals, potentially more than, like, potentially two trillion are killed each year by humans. And this, this line of reasoning, these kinds of thought patterns that we follow, which kind of say, you know, that one group, in this case humans, is you know, superior and separate to another group, in this case animals. Um, this idea that we can leave others behind in our struggles for justice and allow them to continue to be violated um, just because they don't fulfil some kind of idea to us of what it means to be morally worthy. These are, these, this kind of thought process is it really strives to maintain this continued situation where humans are forever in a situation, in a position of dominance over animals. And this mindset of domination is the very same mindset of domination that, that really kind of underpins capitalism and so much violence and injustice. This mindset of domination has contributed to massive divides in class and gender. It's contributed to um, the ravaging of our natural world, to the oppression of indigenous, and, um, com indigenous communities and communities of colour. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that if we continue to exclude animals from our, from our social justice movements, that we may be kind of continuing the same thought processes that are propping up some of the very same things that we're trying to fight. Animal liberation is intertwined with our own. And only by embracing that can we authentically challenge the capitalist mindset of domination.
Because as long as we believe that one group is less deserving of freedom, there are always going to be cages. And as long as there are cages, we're always all going to live under the threat that one day it could be us ourselves thrown into those cages. Animals are resisting in big and small ways every day and they are clearly saying to us they do not consent to the position we've put them in society. But whether we, choose, whether we heed their voices, whether we actually embrace them as allies who are both victims and freedom fighters under capitalism, that is entirely up to us. Thank you. Thanks, Dylan. So, um, Dylan's the founder. Hi, that was Dylan um, Fernando. Uh, was that his name yet? Dylan. Dylan Fernando. Yes, Dylan Fernando, from um, co-founder of Young Voice for Animals from um, the public forum that was held on Tuesday. Um, uh, that was on animal liberation and capitalism. Now it's getting close to 8 a.m. Um, and I just might actually just play a quick. I want to not actually play a quick. Article, I want to actually just give a report on um, on something that's happening in the on the trade union front, um, and that is trade unionists and community activists converged at the DP World Container Terminal. And this is an article written by Sarah Halfway on Swanson Dock, West Melbourne, on July 12th to support the 600 Maritime Union of Australia MUA members midway through their four-day strike action. About 12 other unions showed their solidarity by taking part in the community assembly. Um, And I think the well-attended community assembly shows that there is broad support for unionists to stand their ground and send a loud message that they will not be bullied into surrendering workplace rights and conditions. Um, Melbourne Wharfies maintained a 24-hour presence at the DP World Container Terminal from July 11th to July 14th. Another 1,000 workers took rolling strike action at DP World Depots in Sydney, Brisbane and Fremantle. Um, MUA Victoria um, Deputy Branch Secretary Dave Ball um, said in a media statement on July 11th that Wharfies do not take strike action lightly. However, he said when DP World Management is insisting on an agreement that will have significant and unacceptable detrimental impacts on workers, the union was left with no choice but to fight for its members' conditions. Rather than bargain in good faith, management drew the line in the sand, telling workers they needed to withdraw their claims entirely and accept the company's offer if they want to reach an agreement, Ball said. Um, Steve McQuong, um, MUA delegate at DP World, told the Community Assembly, if in a place like this, which is fully unionised, they can attack us and destroy us, then they will come for you. We need to think about the future. We need to think about all the young men and women, their working lives over the next 30 to 40 years. Don't just think about containers, ships or wharfies. It's a union fight. We need to stand up. We need to fight and we need to be united. Otherwise, we are all in trouble. MUA Victorian Branch Secretary Shane Stevens explained that the lack of bargaining progress um, with DP World, despite the 30 meetings that have been held since August 2018, he explained the outstanding claims that MUA members are not prepared to move on, including um, the outsourcing of cargo care, which has historically been a specialised job. Adding um, that most have little to no cost to DP World, Stevens said that such outsourcing would allow for more casualisation of the workforce. 
Um, other key issue is income protection for work for the workers. Employees contribute to a, a fund that supports families of DP World employees if they are injured outside the workplace. But as DP World is required to sign off on its use, it is now trying to wedge DP World workers in the hope that the union will cave on outstanding claims. Stevens described this manoeuvre as immoral. Um, DP World workers are also refusing to back down on their claim for paid family violence leave. DP World has a policy on DV, but that can that can be changed and it does not provide the same level of protection as a clause in a new enterprise agreement would be. DP World is refusing to accept this claim despite their company's accreditation with the, the White Ribbon and its managing director and CEO being a White Ribbon ambassador. This is both an indictment on the company but also in wide, white, white Ribbon, which has been criticised over who they appoint as ambassadors. Um, DP World has refused to negotiate low, uh, low cost or no cost claims, yet the company that has taken $500 million a year in profits over four years and has paid zero tax in Australia. Uh, so that's just a, a bit of a summary of, I guess, um, Frank, I imagine that the, the dispute is still going on and at this mm. point the MUA, um, the workers have not come and the the company have not come to an agreement, which I guess the outcome of something like this would be a new enterprise bargaining agreement. Yeah, good on them. And you are MUA here to stay. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, I'll just play, okay, so we'll just play a quick announcement and move on to the activist calendar. An urgent call out to our listeners and supporters. Drew and Steve from the CFMEU Victaz have been personally fined by the ABCC a total of almost $20,000 for going onto a site to check up on safety standards. The ABCC has also ruled that the CFMEU can't pay the fine for them. If Drew and Steve can't pay by July the 19th, they'll be in contempt of court and will face jail time. To donate, go to unfairfines.raisely.com. That's unfairfines.raisely.com. R-A-I-S-E-L-Y dot com. 3CR is proudly Union Radio. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio, um, and it is time, I guess, for the activist calendar. So I'll get Megan to start this up. Okay, so the activist calendar. Um, today, which is Friday, July the 19th, there's a silent sit-in protest to fight climate change, and that's at 1.15 at Flinders Street and Swanston Street intersection in the city. Uh, tomorrow, uh, there is, uh, that, which is July the 20th, there's a Coburg Affinity Group induction meeting, uh, that's from... Oh, just, just before, um, <laughs> we, there's something that wasn't included in the activist calendar along oh. with it, um, on Friday, so... Tonight at 5.30pm, there's actually going to be a vigil, um, which is going to be supporting the ongoing um, vigil that happens every 5.30 at the oh, State yeah. Library in... Um yeah, in and um, in honour of the 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 Simonsigan who lost his life at the the Mitre Detention Centre. So yep, that's at five thirty p.m. at the State Library. Yep, sorry for interrupting. No, no, no thank me. you for that. Um, okay, so yes, um, so back to Saturday, July the twentieth. So there's a Coburg Affinity Group induction meeting for Extinction Rebellion, uh, that's happening tomorrow, ten a.m. to one p.m. at the Coburg Library in Coburg. Um, I'm helping to organise that one actually. Um, now on also on uh, Saturday, July twentieth, tomorrow. Uh, there's a rally, six years too long, close Manus and Nauru, bring them here, and that's at 2pm at the State Library, which is 328 Swanston Street in the city. 
There's also on Saturday a night of solidarity, call to arms, the battle may have been lost but the war on workers rages on, entertainment, food and drinks, 5pm till late uh, and that's $15 at the MUA, um, the Maritime Union of Australia, 46 Island Street in West Melbourne and that's hosted by the MUA Victorian Youth. Uh, There's the Act on Climate Film Night. Uh, It's the Attenborough edition, uh, and that's at 7pm at Friends of the Earth, which is 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. That's also on Saturday. Moving to Sunday, Sunday, July the 21st, uh, there's the Victorian Socialist Conference, uh, a meeting to discuss the next steps after the federal election. That's from 9am to 5pm, also at MUA Hall, 45 Island Street in West Melbourne. Uh, there's a meeting, Palestinian Cultural Day, at 6pm at the Memorial Hall, 827 High Street in Epping. On Tuesday, July the 23rd, there is a rally, Save Footscray Park, oppose Council's plan to lease the park to Melbourne Victory, and that's at 5.45pm at the Footscray Town Hall, 61 Napier Street in Footscray. Uh, also on Tuesday, there is a film screening of Ella, and it looks at the career of Ella Havelka, the first Indigenous dancer to be invited into the Australian ballet in its 50-year history. Uh, that's at 6.30pm at the Community Arts Centre, 45 Moreland Street in Footscray. Uh, on Friday the 26th, July, uh, Green Left Weekly's annual comedy debate. Don't panic, there is a Planet B. Uh, MC is Rod Quantock with comedians Duff, Fiona Scott-Norman, Hell Child, Kirsty Mack, Sean Bedlam and Tom Tanuki. Uh, so that, the doors open at 6.30. Uh, dinner and bar are available. Uh, the tickets, which don't include dinner and bar, you'll have to pay for them separately, uh, $50 solidarity, $30 waged, uh, 22 and 15 um, uh, waged and unwaged and low in concession. Uh, and that's at the Brunswick Town Hall, which is on Sydney Road in Brunswick. And for more information on that one, you can phone 96398622. That's a Green Left Weekly event. It's shaping up to be a really exciting night. On Saturday, July the 27th, we've got Theatre Gaspacho, reading of Peter Green's play dealing with the Spanish Civil War, and that's at 2pm at La Mama Courthouse, which is 349 Drummond Street in Carlton. Uh, also on Saturday, the 27th of July, there's a blockade, uh, blockade IMARC organising meeting. Uh, Shutdown IMARC is an activist alliance, com- committed, uh, activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. And that's at 2pm at Trades Hall, 51, 54 Victorian Street in Carlton. Um, Okay, also still on Saturday. Oh, just a, just a correction um, <laughs> for the um, IMARC meeting. Um, the organ- It's actually going to be at the Drill Hall in the Multicultural Hub at 26 Ferry Street in Melbourne. Um, yeah, just sort of correct that um, because, yeah, basically, it's that sort of just right next to Elizabeth Street, as in next to the Victoria Market. Oh, yeah, not far from the Queen Vic Market. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's going it's get, yeah, so to be organising, um, looking to organise a mass um, blockade of uh, International Mining Resources Conference um, in Melbourne from October 28th to the 31st at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. Okay, so also on Saturday, July the 27th, uh, there's a book law launch, uh, Losing Santhia, Life and Loss in the Struggle for Tamil Elam. 
launch of Ben Hillier's book to mark the 36th anniversary of the 1983 anti-Tamil Black July pogrom in Sri Lanka. That's at 3pm at H2 Lecture Theatre, Menzies Building, uh, 20 Chancellor's Way in Clayton. Um, on Sunday, July the 28th, there's a run for refugees. Whether you run, walk, jog, hop, skip across the finish line, we hope you can count. We can count on you to join Asylum Seekers Resource Centre for this year's Run Melbourne. Um, so Thursday, August the 1st, there's a film screening, The Life and Times of Frida Kahlo, and that's at 6.30 at Cinema Nova at 380 Ligon Street in Carlton. On Friday, August the 2nd uh, to Sunday, August the 11th, there's a film screening, Les Miserables. Tensions between the violent cops and neighbourhood youth explode in this fiery film, which brings the spirit of Victor Hugo to the cultural skirmishes uh, uh, of the Parisian suburbs. Um, it's one of my favourite plays. Um, a musical, sorry. Uh, okay, uh, Friday, August the 2nd, uh, Forum, Decolonising Environmentalism. Uh, the speakers are New South Wales Green Senator Merhik, Mer, sorry, Mihreen Furuki, uh, and that's at 6pm, Library at the Dock 107, Victoria Harbour Promenade in the Docklands. It's hosted by the Greens. Uh, on Saturday, Multicultural Greens, yep. <laughs> Multicultural Greens, yep. On Saturday, August the 3rd to Wednesday, August the 14th, there's a film screening, Official Secrets, true story about Catherine, uh, sorry, Catherine Gunn, the British Secret Service whistleblower who tried to stop the Iraq War. Uh, Saturday, August the 3rd to Sunday, August the 18th, there's also another film screening, Sorry We Missed You. Ken Loach's new film is a passionate bulletin from the heart of modern Britain, the land of zero hours, vassalage and service economy serfdom. On Saturday, August the 3rd, there's music, three songs for 3CR, a benefit concert for Music Sounds Frontiers, 3CR's weekly world music program, and that's at 7.30 at the Abbotsford Convent in, at 1 St Hilliers Street in Abbotsford. Monday the 5th of August, there's a forum, Hidden Hell for Refugees in the Heart of Melbourne. A prison for refugees, the Melbourne Immigration Transit Centre is located in Broadmeadows, uh, and that's at 6.30 at the AM. Uh, ANMF, which is at 535 Elizabeth Street in the city. That one's particularly poignant after what's happened um, to the asylum seeker who lost his life. Um, right, Friday, August the 9th, there's a uni walkout for climate action. Um, the education sector needs to be at the forefront of the fight against climate change. And that's at 12 noon at the National Union of Students, which is 60, 16 Bailey Street in North Melbourne. On Saturday, the 10th of August, uh, there's a rally. More trains on the upfield line. Sick of our underserviced, uh, well, overcrowded trains? Yep, Get ready for our next here. action um, to promote so more trains on the upfield line. And that's at 11am, okay, Bain Reserve, right. 2 Merlin Street in Coburg North. So if you are in, in that area and you hate our 20-minute peak hour um, serviced upfield line, come along to that um, action. Uh, there's a couple more. I've got, uh, this is again on Saturday, 10th of August. Fight the Right, the Anti-Fascist Day Forum, 12 noon to 6pm, Trades Hall, 54 Victorian Street, South. Um, and that's it. Yep, great. Um, thanks for that, Megan. Um, so on the line, we have our first interview for the program. Um, we have Greg Rolls um, from South East Queensland Extinction Rebellion. Um, and I guess a bit of background is... Um, Extinction Rebellion has, um, in Queensland has been organising a week of action as in the past week. Um, um, at peak hour every morning have been, you know, causing disruptions and blocking intersections. Um, and the state has sort of 
you know, responded in quite a heavy-handed way. Um, so we're going to kind of talk with Greg to talk about the kind of situation that's kind of happening there. So good morning, Greg. Good morning. How are you going? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I guess the first question, can you give us, I guess, a summary of, um, I guess, what Extinction Rebellion has been doing in southeast Queensland, especially in terms of the last um, week of actions? Yeah, well, Extinction Rebellion is really concerned that we are in the middle of a climate crisis and things are about to get a lot worse for people around the world and governments just aren't acting. So the, the Australian government actually committed to acting uh, global warming in 1992 at the Rio summit and uh, hasn't done anything. So we've decided that uh, when you look back at history, the only thing that's going to work to save ourselves is uh, non-violent civil disobedience. And so we're trying to build up a movement where as many people as we can will come out onto the streets and join us in slowing down business as usual until we as a community take real action on this climate crisis. So uh, we've been using tactics that have been successful in the UK, which is swarming. And, uh, uh, you know, well, we've been using lots of tactics, but this week particularly we've been focused on swarming, which is standing at intersections in the CBD during peak hour traffic, 10 minutes of time at the intersection, and then moving on to the next one, just to try and get people to think about this climate crisis, draw media, um, you know, draw media attention, try and get them to tell the truth about the crisis we're facing, and to uh, just empower people to show them that, you know, we've been conditioned to think that power lies with police and with governments and states, but actually power lies with, with the people, and when we organise... Uh, and work together, there's nothing we can't achieve, and we just need to tap into that power, and that's that's really what we're doing here. Yeah, and um, can you tell us about what has been kind of um, what about the kind of police response? In fact, I was in Queensland um, just recently, and um, the week before, um, an activist had actually been and been arrested um, by the police and held in court. Um, and now I think um, it's been reported as in last week, there's been several other and protesters who have been arrested. Can you tell us about kind of what's kind of happening there in terms of the, the police's response to these protests? The first uh, swarming we did, there's been, been a few actions already uh, for Extinction Rebellion in Australia, but the first swarming we did last Thursday, um, uh, the police basically didn't know how to respond, so they let us hold intersections for 10 minutes at a time, which caused huge traffic chaos and uh, made, made the climate crisis headline news, as it should be every day anyway. But uh, we managed to hold intersections for 10 minutes at a time, and it was a great, fun, empowering day for people. Um, you know, we're very sorry for people who felt inconvenienced uh, having their traffic slowed down. Um, I'm also very sorry for children in Chennai right now who don't have any drinking water because yeah. of the climate crisis. So, you know, as, as hard as that is, um, you know, our, uh, basically our economic and political leaders have failed us, and it's up, up to us to take the power. So um, I, I, the numbers escape me at the moment, but I think we've had about 30 arrests in the last week in different swarming actions as the police, um, just the, as things have escalated, as we try to do when, when, when you follow theories of change and nonviolence, as things have escalated, the, the, the state's also escalated. So um, people being arrested just, you know, simply for standing on the road or for filming actions of people glued to the road. So, um, you know, they're particularly targeting people who they see as leaders and organisers. So, you know, some of us have to be really careful just to, um, you know, stay very legal when police presence are around so we can keep doing the work of organising and, uh, and, um, and keeping, keeping the pressure up because that's what we need to do in order to avoid the worst of the climate crisis. So, um, you, you know, uh, one, one man, um, Sergio, who's been in the media a bit because he's been arrested five or six times now in the last three weeks, uh, you know, all he needs to do is turn up in the CBD now and the police are just targeting him and trying to find excuses to arrest him. So his rights to protest. And Sergio's just a very scared 
young man who's, you know, when I asked him the other day, like, why, why do you keep going? Like, you spend a lot of time in the watch house. He's like, I'm, I'm literally trying not to die. I don't want to be dead by the time I'm 50 because of global warming. Mm. And, and the truth is that's, that's, that's a high possibility of the way we're going. And so, um, you know, we need, we need the state to, um, stop, um, cracking down on civil rights of people trying to protect themselves and to put all our resources into averting this climate crisis. And I guess, I mean, the next, um, I guess coming from that is um, a comment a bit more broadly on, I guess, the, um, my kind of interpretation is that um, from why the police are kind of responding um, in this way um, is for the purpose of intimidation uh, of protesters. And I guess what, what sort of your comment on that? Yeah, the police have been very heavy uh, at the last swarming event we did, which was on Wednesday, the... Uh, the, the, there was a man who um, appeared to me to be homeless, even who was just standing on the on the side of the street, um, like up on the footpath, and he and he saw us and he just started yelling and you know getting excited that people were taking action. And the police, uh, I saw the I saw the um, second half of this. The police grabbed him and applied you know the the wrist twist thing they do, and um, you know he said I'm not with them, I'm not with them, and they forcibly put him in the van and and his, I, I got him as he came out of the watch house. And they struck him with some pretty heavy charges for, for what he did. So there's a real element of, you know, just cracking down on anyone who, who seemed to be too vocal and supporting us. And, you know, as soon as he said, I'm not with them and tried to walk away, um, you know, to go about his day, they, they just cracked down really hard on him. It was a brutal thing to see, to be honest. So there is a little bit of political backlash, which I think has put pressure on police, but police are still choosing rather than, like I said, to put it, put resources into protecting our home um, and a safe climate, which is, Supporting us all, they're putting into cracking down on, on a few of us, uh, you know, trying to stand up and build a movement to actually protect us all, you know, including the police and their children. Um, so it's really, it's really hard to watch the police crack down and be so brutal. But uh, I guess we're at a point in history where we need to start thinking about how, how we're going to pay some of these costs for um, the damage that our society's done to the environment. And we, but we really need the powers that be to get on board and to support us, um, you know, and then for us to all work together um, to, to meet our demands. And um, I wonder if you have any um, knowledge of this, but um, something I'm just uh, I've sort of observed about Queensland is now there's kind of this interesting kind of myth. Um, well, there's kind of thing put forward about um, about Queensland that you know it's like a backwards kind of state. Um, they all voted in. They all voted for the Liberals. You know they don't care for climate action. But something I think that's interesting about these recent protests um, that have been organised by Extinction Rebellion, and then there's been the stop big massive stop Adani protests um in brisbane that happened i think a few weeks um prior um where they blockaded the city um is there does appear to be a sort of trend um that um the the state governments or the governments in queensland are literally you know trying to you know silence any kind of opposition um to the adani coal mine especially in the context of the fact that the state labor government is basically just signing off um the mining letting it being built um and then there's the whole you know there's a there's a whole issue around um you know indigenous rights etc um what what is sort of your comment i think on on it's sort of you feel that it's sort of like there's clearly a a deliberate thing to kind of silence any opposition to this coal mine which i think in in some ways indicates that um the the that this really comes from the agenda of you know the people in power and not actually you know the people voting to um for for coal (laughs) well i think i think you just sort of said it all this is the agenda of the people in power and I just want to touch on something else you brought up, which I, you know, um, wanted to say earlier in the interview is that, 
you know, this is about First Nations rights as well. Like, we, we at Extinction Rebellion want to decolonise our power structures uh, of Australia, um, you know, of so-called Australia. So um, First Nations um, campaigning and rights is tied in, you know, if we want climate justice for all of us, we need First Nations justice for this continent. So I just want to start by saying that's a big priority for me personally and for everyone I know that's involved in this movement. Um, I'll just say on, on the Adani thing, so personally myself, I'm actually... Uh, we're seeing a big crackdown on civil rights. So I, I received a $7,000 fine and was given $2,500 damages for uh, blocking a railway train into the Dani-owned Abbott Coal Point. So, and uh, the Horizon Company, which um, uh, which is the rail company that's running uh, Adani's coal, is uh, you know suing me for, and four of my friends for $75,000 each. So there's a big move to you know from from corporate and political leaders to crack down on uh, anyone who's trying to resist the the you know, those in power who are, you know, all they are interested in is putting as much money in the bank as possible for, before things inevitably change. And whether that's going to change because of the, the ecological collapse that we are, you know, literally rushing into, or change because people, uh, you know, like to stand up and take the power back, uh, which we all need to do now. We need to organise and resist to take the power back or, you know, our, our society is going to collapse. Uh, and, we, you know, we might all go extinct. Um, if they're, they're trying to get as much uh, money in the bank before that happens. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the, the people in power are scared of the people, um, you know, not in power, rising up and taking that power back. But I also I also have to think that they must be scared of where they're going to go with an ecological collapse. I mean, if billionaires' kids all end up living in bunkers, do they really win? You know, like, that's, yeah. this, this involves all of us, and we need to... It's really important for all of us to... Stand up and, and start taking as much civil resistance, non-violent civil disobedience as possible. We need to fill the streets, and and the way we're going, unfortunately, this is not something I want to be doing with my life. I personally am a fan of Russian history and would love to be backpacking through Russia right mm. now. But um, I, 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 you know, we, we need to de- we need to um, fill the streets and fill the jails, and that's what we need to do to protect our homes. Yeah, and um, can you? Um and even though this is a Melbourne radio station, I'm interested in hearing what are sort of some of the future plans for Extinction Rebellion in Queensland? Well, I just want to start by pointing out, um, I, I've, I've done some work with 3CR and, um, you know, there's a, there's a great resistance community in Melbourne, but, you know, they need they all need more people. So get along to an Extinction Rebellion event in um, around Melbourne somewhere and there's um, some great blockades I've seen on the Facebook page that organised. Uh, in Queensland, we're building up for August 6th, um, which we're going to hold as a rebellion day, where we're going to we're going to we're going to shut the CBD down and invite people from all across Brisbane and uh, the region to come into Brisbane and maybe sit down and think about and talk about what sort of world we want to create, and how we're going to avert this climate crisis, and uh, what pardon me, what kind of world that we're um, actually going to create together. So that's August 6th rebellion day. We're going to support the the strike. Uh, people are calling it the school strike on September 22nd, I think it is, but uh, I note the school strikers are actually calling for everybody to strike, not just the school strikers, but everyone mm-hmm. to take the day off work. So August 6th, Rebellion Day in, um, uh, for Extinction Rebellion South East Queensland. Uh, and then um, September 22nd, everyone in Melbourne as well can join in on, the, on, the, on a general strike for the climate. So this is about protecting all our futures. We all need to be willing to uh, lovingly, peacefully, non-violently, strongly, forcefully sit down now, work together and resist our own extinction. We, we, we go extinct or we, we rebel. Hmm. Well said. All right, um, so Greg, do you have any final comments you'd like to make? Uh, that was a pretty strong finish, I think. Yeah, I so <laughs> I think we'll finish it off out. But there. Just yeah. that, just that, just that uh, you know, like, don't, you know, there's lots to be scared of. You know, the government and, and media have conditioned us that any sort of arrest or any dealing with police makes you a bad person, but 
just the fear that we've been indoctrinated with. And once you once you break through that fear barrier a little bit, um, you'll see how how powerful and liberated we all can be. So don't don't be scared of what what the state can throw at you. Um, you know, we're all just people. The police, the politicians, anyone who might punish you or throw you, they're just people. And uh, there's nothing nothing to be scared of except um, fear itself. To misquote uh, and a president, I think I don't know who said that. So yeah, don't be scared. Stand up and, and take the power that is rightfully yours, and uh, let's work together to make something better. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Craig. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You too. You too. All right, that was um, Greg Rolls um, from um, Extinction Rebellion, Southeast Queensland. Um, yeah, so we've got um, we're getting close to um, I think we're getting close to the kind of the end of the program. And actually, I might feel like actually we might end it. Um, we might just play a quick song for the next three minutes and then thank um, do a bit of a wrap wrap up of of the show. Um, so the song I was going to play, which I have here, is Lance Junior by Courtney Barnett.
All right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, we're getting close, um, I guess, to the end of the program. Um, so I'd like to thank all our guests. Well, there was one guest that we had on the program. Um, or give credit to Progressive Podcast for recording um, the talks from um, the Animal Liberation and Capitalism Forum that Green Left Weekly and Social Science Melbourne organised. Um, and I guess we'll say, um, you know, we've got... Um, Tune in next week for another week yeah. um, of for another you know round of sort of radical radio in terms of the latest in wing kind of developments. And stick around for Beyond Zero at eight thirty national climate change issues. And also tomorrow, um, if you want to join us for breakfast again, there's Solidarity Breakfast, which is industrial news and discussion. So just plug in tomorrow's um, breakfast show. Yeah. yeah, and I guess the last thing I'll say is um, yeah, it would be great if. Um, we didn't really get chance. We well, talked about this from the US perspective, but I definitely think it's very important that um, people show up for the refugee rights rally um, this Saturday and the vigil tomorrow at um, well, no, tonight, today, today, yeah. today 5 at 5:30. Is it the State Library? State Library. Yeah. Yep. So what, um, it's 2 p.m. for the rally on Saturday tomorrow at, um, at the State Library, and then 5:30 tonight at the State Library. Um, so yeah, tune in for another week. Have a great weekend. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? Oh, hey.